One of my great joys in life is creating things. I love to cook. I love to bake. I love to write books and articles. I love to create videos of my children, and the list goes on. I especially love meeting and getting to know other creative people and learn more about the motivation behind the things that they create. So in this podcast, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Chris Easterly. Chris has a passion for creating movies, but was also motivated to write a book on divorce from a male perspective. I think you'll find this podcast very enlightening. Chris Easterly is a professional film and television writer. A graduate of the prestigious Warner Brothers Television Writers Program, he's written for the Fox drama series Past Life and Cartoon Network's first live-action drama, Unnatural History. He adapted Beverly Lewis's New York Times best-selling novel, The Shunning, into a feature film for the Hallmark Channel. In addition to writing films, TV pilots, and web series, he wrote the book Falling Forward, A Man's Memoir of Divorce, which was selected by Amazon.com as an exclusive Kindle single. He's taught TV writing at the University of Kentucky and Act One, a screenwriting program in Hollywood. He's currently producing two independent feature films, Devil's Hollow and Relict. Chris will be speaking at the Journey of Hope Conference for Divorce Recovery coming up August 4th through the 6th in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina, and I hope you enjoy this great conversation. Well, Chris, I just want to welcome you to this Journey of Hope podcast, and I'm so excited that you're going to be giving a workshop at the Journey of Hope Conference, and, you know, I specifically asked you to be there, not only because I know you're a great guy, but also because I really loved your book, Falling Forward, A Man's Perspective on Divorce. Would you just tell us a little bit about that book and why you wrote it? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast and uh, and at the conference. I'm looking forward to it. Um, regarding the book, I, when I was going through my divorce a few years ago, I was looking for books that would kind of help me through it. And I just noticed that most of the books I found had uh, titles like when he leaves and a woman's journey through divorce. And, you know, and I, and I bought those books and they were helpful. Um, and eventually I, I found a, a few books written by men. Um, but even those mostly had topics like how to, uh, you know, come out on top financially and how to gain custody of your children. And, and those are great topics. Those are helpful. Um, but I just, I thought, you know, I, I need something that speaks to the anger and the deep sadness and the sense of loss that I'm feeling. And I remember one book I found, uh, the, the author mentioned, you know, the best way to recover is to, you know, buy a new car so you can get hot chicks. And I thought, <laughs> well, you know, like that's, uh, doesn't really speak to where I'm at. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> So I decided just to, yeah, go ahead and tell my story. And, uh, you know, it was therapeutic for me to write, but also hopefully um, it will benefit other people. And and I say it's a, a man's memoir of divorce, but I believe that anybody that's gone through divorce or, or any kind of loss um, or trauma hopefully can relate to it. And, and interestingly, most of the reviews that I've received and the feedback that I've gotten from Amazon and other places are – uh, largely from women, so I just hmm. thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. 
Because again, um, I think men men typically are just less likely to want to talk about that kind of stuff. And so, and that's another reason I wrote the book because I thought, well, maybe there's a a guy out there who's just hesitant to talk, um, or you know, doesn't want to appear uh, weak or vulnerable, but maybe he'll feel comfortable sitting alone reading my book and and knowing that somebody else has been through it and that they survived it. Well, that's a great offering, Chris, and I tend to agree with you. I I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but when I was, um, I don't know, it was probably 2005, and I was presenting my Journey of Hope Parish program for men, because I don't do co-ed groups. I do women's groups only or men's groups only, but I was offering it at the Cathedral of Christ the King in Atlanta. So as the program got started, which is a 17-week program, I thought, you know, I'm a married woman. I'm going to be sitting every Tuesday evening in the basement of this church with six divorced men. It's a closed-door meeting. I think I might be a little prudent and just invite one of the deacons in, you know, to the meeting. So I had this deacon sit in on every meeting. Actually, there were two different ones. And uh, they were wonderful. But I noticed at some point... Uh, that this happens several times that you know we would be discussing the issue at hand or I would be answering a question that one of them had and when I was finished the deacon would kind of turn around and kind of reiterate it in man speak <laughs> huh. um, and I noticed this on more than one occasion I don't know if he knew he was doing it but it, it was kind of like repositioning what I said in a way that I don't know. I don't know if it made more sense to them or just was more from their perspective. I don't know, but I thought it was pretty funny. And I think that that's a great reason why men do need to go into their stories as much as they're comfortable. But also, you know, just getting that male perspective on things because it is different from a woman's perspective many times. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So he was like a a translator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, maybe, like I said, most of the, uh, reviews that I've gotten on Amazon for the book, um, are from women just saying, you know, you're, the details of your story were different from mine, but I can relate to everything you said. And, and, and maybe there are men out there reading it who just, again, are, are reticent to go on Amazon and post a review or something, but, uh, hopefully they're, they're, uh, benefiting from it. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, grief is grief, no matter who is Mm -hmm. experiencing it. And if men aren't really expressing their grief openly, I I agree. I think your book would serve that wonderful purpose of allowing them to go down that road in, you know, a more private manner with your book. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. You know, anyone who experiences a traumatic life event and is able to let that suffering transform them into a better, stronger, wiser person is definitely going to be able to dispense some good advice. So I asked Chris what he would say to someone who was feeling completely hopeless about their own divorce situation. So for most people, divorce is devastating on so many levels. What would you say to someone who is listening to this podcast who may be feeling completely discouraged and helpless about their situation? 
when I was going through my divorce, uh, a good friend of mine gave me what I thought was some great advice, and it sounds simple, but <clears throat> he said if there's ever a time to focus on yourself, it's during a divorce. And uh, <clears throat> I thought that's, you know, that turned out to be really true that you have to take care of yourself and, and be kind to yourself because it's so easy to see yourself as there's something wrong with you and uh, you, you're you're unwanted and unloved and it's just important to remember that that's not who you are. Um, actually, the other day I was talking to a friend about coming to this conference and I just mentioned, you know, in a way it feels kind of weird because I feel like I'm not that guy anymore mm-hmm. who went through the divorce. And my friend said, well, that's what qualifies you, you know, because it's proof that you do move on and you do survive. And, and one day you're not going to see yourself as I'm the divorced guy or woman, you know, and, and that gets to the questions of faith too. For me, um, if you're a person of faith, it's really important to stay focused on God and your relationship with God during a divorce. Cause you're, you're not always going to feel like it. And there were times I, I went to mass and just sat there feeling disconnected and sad. And, but you never know when a certain, uh, word from a homily will jump out at you or you'll hear something in the scripture readings that'll help you for that day and just remind you that you're you're not divorced you're not a divorced person you're god's child you're his beloved and uh and that's you know when he looks at you he doesn't see a divorced person or a failure he sees the the child he loves and i think it's important to remember that that's beautiful that's very important to remember i i totally agree it's um it's hard to go to church when uh, you know the, the happy families and and couples are just a reminder of your loss but that I agree you have to really kind of uh set all that aside if you can or at least block it out for 1 hour and remember that yeah I mean not only are we uh you know precious to him but he thirsts for our souls and He's constantly calling us closer to him. So I think that's great advice. And I hope that listeners will remember that if they're having a difficult time. Yeah, there were there were times, too, when I I talk about in the book, there were times that, you you know, faith. Well, faith was the my faith in God was the uh, most important thing that got me through the divorce. But there were times that. I didn't feel like praying because I was angry and I didn't know why this was happening. And, and there were other times I was just too exhausted emotionally to, to even pray. And so I, at those times I offered up my lack of prayer as a prayer and just believed that God would accept that because he did love me and knew what I was going through and that I didn't have it in me to, you know, always be the perfect uh, Christian or whatever at the time, but uh, just to lift everything up to him, including that pain and, and know that he was going to take care of it. That's great advice and uh, very wise, very common sense, because I think a lot of us can really beat ourselves up, you know, especially the cradle Catholics, you know, I know I should be praying, I know I should be doing more than this, and I just can't, and I'm terrible, and so, yeah, that's, that's great advice, and it kind of, you know, leads into my next question, which is, you know, actually getting yourself to mass or uh, events going on at the parish because it's so easy to feel disconnected or not welcome. And some of that is self-imposed because, you know, divorce bears a stigma of shame with it. Um, Whether it was your fault or not, I think it's just, you know, easy to kind of put that on ourselves, you know, that it's such a shameful thing. 
um, sometimes it is it does come from people at the parish who don't understand or they feel awkward or, or whatever. Did you ever experience anything like that? Well, I guess my case is a little bit different in that I kind of uh, cheated and just went to another parish, <laughs> went to a different <laughs> parish. Um, but when uh, after the divorce, I moved away and uh, moved to another town nearby. And so I actually just ended up going to a new parish where I didn't really know anybody. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't have to experience, at least at the church, um, people sort of condemning me, but I did notice, you know, it, it, it came up though in other social situations. Like if I would go by my old workplace where I talked to just to visit my old coworkers and they hadn't seen me since the divorce and I had to explain it to them. Or I remember going to a Christmas party once and I walked in and it was all cheerful. And then uh, my buddy came up to me and said, Hey, where's your wife? And I said, Oh, she's not my wife anymore. You know? And then everybody yeah. kind of, looks at you and you feel awkward, you know, and then you have to sort of ease your way into like a more comfortable conversation and everybody feels awkward. And, but uh, I think, you know, at some point you just have to kind of go through that um, and ask for the strength to get through that. But again, eventually you're going to get to a point where that's not you anymore and you don't feel that stigma and you don't feel that shame. And I'm proof of that because I remember hearing from a, high school friend on Facebook and they were asking how I was doing and we were catching up and mentioned that, you know, I was divorced and, you know, they never knew I was divorced, let alone uh, had ever gotten married. And so um, I just felt like, again, like they, at that point I, I was like, you know, I'm free to say, Oh, I was divorced and it doesn't matter what somebody thinks. And you just, I mean, it's a sort of a cliche, but that does just get better with time. I've found Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's God that we really should be worried about what he thinks, and that's it. Now, you're not just an author. You are also a successful professional screenwriter and director and probably a whole bunch more that I don't know about living between Kentucky and Los Angeles. So um, what is it that you enjoy the most about the work that you do? Uh, I just love the creative process, um, whether it's a book or a TV show or a movie, just kind of coming up with a whole universe with these people, with these characters and this story, and you get to kind of play in it and uh, create this world. And I just, I love that process. I can sit down to start writing and then I look up and it's five hours later and I've forgotten to eat, you know, and you just kind of get into that, uh, get into that world. Um, And another thing I enjoy about it is, kind of seeing what themes emerge in my stories um, because I never set out to say, for instance, I'm going to write a story about redemption or loss. I, I just want to tell a good story. And so I'll come up with a story and start developing it and writing it. And then it's interesting to see later when you're editing it and after you've finished it and how these certain themes emerge like this. I'm, I'm directing a micro budget independent film in Kentucky right now called Relict. And I, again, didn't set out to say, I'm going to write about loss and letting go and uh, revenge. And, but then that's kind of what emerged uh, as I put it together. And so it's just kind of neat to see how that happens. Um, it's kind of a mystery, but it's cool. And uh, to see how other people, you know, hopefully respond to those same themes when they're watching it or reading a book. 
Nice. Would you also tell us about Devil's Hollow? Yeah, Devil's Hollow is a movie I wrote a couple of years ago, and we're uh, these. I guess the, the typical life time or life it takes to get a or timeline that it takes to put a movie together is one to three years minimum. So um, the script is written and we've met with actors and, um, but it's been a couple of years and we're still raising money for that one. So um, that one is still in play. Uh, but in the meantime, I went ahead and started working on some other stuff. So we're, uh, we hope to get Devil's Hollow off the ground later this year. Um, but that's kind of where that's at. And what is the, the basic premise of that story? I, I was fortunate enough to, um, read that script, and I just thought it was fantastic. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's about a guy, an ex-con, who comes home after 10 years in prison, and he's trying to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter, and he finds out that uh, she's actually fallen in with some of his old criminal friends, and so um, he has to go save her, but the, the problem is he, he has an ankle monitor. Um, he's on house arrest, so the minute he leaves his farm, to try to go save her, um, his ankle monitor will go off. And so the question becomes, can he get to his daughter to save her before the cops get to him? So it becomes this kind of race against time. That's so great. I love that. I absolutely love that story. Um, So I can't wait to go see it in the theater. So um, (laughs) I'll bet. Um, Where can listeners find out more about all this great work you're doing? Um, The best place really is Facebook. Um, there's a there's a Devil's Hollow website, devilshollowmovie.com, um, but uh, really the best way to keep up with everything is on the Facebook pages. So there's a Facebook page for Devil's Hollow, and you just, just go search Devil's Hollow Movie. Um, there's a page for the other movie, Relict. Just search Relict Movie. And then there's also a Facebook page for uh, the book, Falling Forward, A Man's Memoir of Divorce. So... You can just type in any of those. That's that's the best way to keep up because that's where I go and, and update information and make announcements. That's fantastic. Well, Chris, I am really thrilled that you were able to spend this time with me and um, share a little bit about what you're going to be talking about at the Journey of Hope conference. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. It was great to be here. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Journey of Hope podcast series, and don't miss the chance to meet Chris and hear him speak at the Journey of Hope conference. Register today and reserve your spot. You can go to journeyofhopeconference.com, find all the information you need, and reserve your spot there. And as usual, I'm Lisa Duffy with lisaduffy.com, and I'm so looking forward to meeting you in August.